This is Sound and Vision from KEXP in Seattle. I'm Emily Fox. And today on the show, we're going to get a hopeful update on music venues during the pandemic. We'll talk about a new venue that aims to open in Seattle later this year that'll be owned by more than 30 people in the community. I encourage you, think about how we put ownership of land in the hands of people of color. That is what we need to create justice and equity in our city. We'll also talk about how folks are trying to build back the music community in a more equitable way. That's coming up on this first conversation where we are checking in on the state of local venues. Because the new COVID relief bill was signed into law on December 27th, it includes $15 billion in relief for independent music venues, movie theaters, and similar cultural spaces. And that's on top of grants that are now being given out locally as part of the Keep Music Live Washington campaign that's been raising money through individual donations to try to keep the local live music scene afloat. So early Earlier this month, I spoke with Carly Ingersoll. She's co-owner of the Spokane music venue Lucky You Lounge. I also spoke with Cedric Walker of the Seattle-based band The Black Tones, who is on the board of Keep Music Live. Here is the conversation. Carly, I'll start with you. I mean, um, you have been a part of an effort to lobby lawmakers to pass the Save Our Stages Act, which was just passed again as part of the COVID relief. Um, And this has been going on for months now. So now that this has been signed into law, like what does this mean for venues? You know, this has been a crazy just series of events. I can't really take much credit for the SOS Act. Um, We've been NIVA members since the beginning of COVID, but... um, so many people have worked so hard for this to be a reality and it essentially is going to do some serious heavy lifting um, to get music venues to a place where they can make it through until they can fully reopen again, which is a lot of money. Um, Most venues were the first to close and will be the last to fully reopen. And so that means just bills have been piling up for the last 11 months and venues really need some some like big amounts of money to get them through this. Um, and so that's what the SOS Act will do. It's it's essentially going to help venues stay alive through this and make sure that they can reopen. Um, so it's it's huge. I think we're all still kind of reeling from the fact that it's it it worked and it's amazing. It's it's a huge relief. But we don't necessarily know yet, like how much venues are going to get from this. Like it's, we totally. don't know, like for sure, oh my gosh, all our bills are paid for because this act right. passed. Like we don't know how much money is going to go to each venue yet. Yeah. And, and I can speak from some experience. We've, we've been applying as we, my venue has been closed. We've been applying to different grants as, as they come up and you know, you don't actually know until you see the applications, see what the eligibility terms are in and the way that they're worded and you apply and then, you know, you see what you get. So so there is essentially some anticipation that some venues will fall through the cracks or they won't get enough funding. And so the reality is still that that there will be need and the music industry in general is in such great need. I mean, it's essentially been shut down for most of this year. And so there's more than just venues that are struggling right now. Yeah. I mean, now we're coming up, what is it, nine months now that venues have been closed. I mean, I'm just surprised at this point that so many venues have been able to survive this far. I mean, from your understanding, like I I thought like maybe, you know, by the end of, of 2020 that we would see a whole slew of venues in Washington State have to close. And I think in Seattle, 
we haven't really seen much. Um, and so I'm just curious, like, how have venues been able to survive this long without any income and massive bills to the tune of, what is it, like, you know, $10,000 a month, you know, and just oh, rent more, more you know, and, and, and that month of, over month and not having any income. Yeah. Come in. So even when things go back to normal, how do you even dig yourself out of that hole? So there has been some, uh, you know, grants that venues have been able to apply to, but most of those grants have been maxed out at 20 grand. And if you think about just the operating costs, even for a venue to be closed, even just a month of rent can eat into that 20 grand um, very quickly. And so I guess I can only speak from my experience and just hobbling along and more debt. And I, I also think like, Probably the reason a lot of venues haven't called it is because of the SOS Act. Seeing that on the horizon and feeling hopeful that like if that happened, we can make it through this um, and there's maybe a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, Because, you know, obviously it's been pretty bleak and a lot of venues are probably really hanging on by a thread. And there's there's some some urgency, emergency to that, even in this moment, I think, for a lot of places. So but that that glimmer of hope, I think, has probably been the reason venues have been closing, uh, have been holding on. Oh, interesting. So, Cedric, yeah. I mean, you you are a musician yourself. Um, you and KEXP's own Eva Walker are the Black Tones. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you all have been incredibly impacted by not being able to play at venues. But you're also involved, again, with Keep Music Live in this conversation around building back better. Talk about this conversation around building back better. Like, what is that conversation? What are your visions? What's going on there? Well, so, you know, first to, I guess, address the first thing. Um, yes, it's been very difficult. I miss playing music so much. Um, you know, a lot of people have said, hey, you know, this is an opportunity for artists to go into the cave and write music. But honestly, it's just been hard. You know, it's actually been a really difficult time. Um, lucky you. Oh, my God. That place was amazing. We got to play that, uh, you know, a few months ago before covid hit and i think we got to play when it first opened yeah you y'all played our uh grand opening weekend. yeah and yeah. i had a dinner that was out of this world <laughs> a show that i played that was incredible um it was amazing so carly let me just shout that out like it was <laughs> amazing um. uh but to, to kind of get out of the depressing part of it um and discuss the building back better um if to give you guys a little glimpse in the boardroom, um, we talked about how, you know, you know, when we give out these grants, how are we going to do it? Are we, you know, what, what are our ethics, you know? And that was definitely one of the most important topics. Uh, you know, we want to be able to, uh, address, you know, the, the PLC situation, people of color, you know, like what's, you know, audit some of these venues before we give out grants, you know, what does your employees look like? You know, what does your constituency look like? Um, I know we want to make women owners priority, uh, things like that. You know what I mean? Um, so building back better is, is also kind of bringing into, into light everything that's going on in the world right now, right? Like we want to do everything, bring these venues back, but also let's be smart enough to look at the situation in the world, look at what's going on with people of color, looking at what's going on with women, the term BIPOC is, is usually what people use uh, and, and support these venues and get them back and build them back better. 
because you know there is a big discrepancy obviously in venue owners and you know i i would like to see more venue owners that look like me right so yeah that's kind of what they were addressing when they were talking about uh building back better and and making things you know a little more equal playing field uh, i know keep music live is really trying to get grants out the beginning of this year which is now so that that's definitely our goal um we know the sos just passed that is fantastic but kml was was there because we we had saw that there was a hole we saw that there was something that passed in oregon and in montana and these states all around us but somehow washington hadn't been able to figure anything out yet and so uh keep music live was trying to fill that void and, and say hey let's try to keep our venues keep our venues around when things open back up yeah, because we weren't getting state funding. And so Keep Music Live. I mean, there's so many different efforts going on right now. There's NEVA, the National Independent Venue Association, which helped with the lobbying for the Save Our Stages Act that has passed. And there's Keep Music Live. That is an organization of you know music lovers, venue owners, musicians here in Washington State that's trying to raise money um, to be able to give grants to venues. So lots of different efforts going on. And, you know, you're right. I mean, when I when I've talked to venue owners in the past, you know, especially around Seattle, it's a lot of white dudes, <laughs> you know, and again, that goes back to just, good white, good white guys, though, yeah, you know, they're, they're, shout yeah. out to the good white guys out there. <laughs> they're good white dudes. But, you know, it goes back to, again, if we look at, you know, systemic things out there, you know, who, who has the means to be able to front all this cash to own a venue like this? You know, it comes Absolutely. with a lot of privilege to be able to do that. So, you know, Carly, it's great to see you here, you know, as, <laughs> as a woman and uh, an owner of a venue. But generally speaking, you know, you do see a lot of white guys in the room. And yeah, something we've talked a lot in our, our KML champions meetings, which are the ones that I usually go to, um, is is the all ages scene as well, which in I think just all across the country and just in the music world in general, all ages venues have the toughest time. And I can speak from having owned one and having to close it, that those venues are so, so important to that conversation of building back better because our young musicians and our young music fans need places to um, need small venues, even to uh, be able to access music on that, like really organic, awesome level that we all love. And that we, as people that are over 21, get access to more often. Um, so that's been a big part of the conversation, too, is like making sure that all ages venues are prioritized. And, you know, because they they have the hardest time, really. So yeah. I just wanted to add that. Because you, you recently had to close a venue that was an all ages venue before. Lucky you. Yeah, opened. we had. We owned the Bartlett for about six years and um, we closed it in, at the end of 2019, which honestly, I'm kind of glad because having two venues through a pandemic would have been really hard. But um, but yeah, it's a it was a serious, I mean, any music venue owner can say that owning a venue is a labor of love, but owning a all-ages venue is even more so that because you just, your profit margins are even smaller. So I think I would love to see those venues supported through these efforts. Yeah. You know, for both, you know, Carly and Cedric, you know, Cedric, you mentioned, you know, when you're thinking about giving out grants through Keep Music Live, you know, keeping in mind, like, who are the venue owners of these spaces and, and thinking about equity, but just generally when when you've been talking about okay, it's going to be a while until music spaces open back up. I mean, broadly speaking, and as your experiences as both a musician or Carly, you as a venue owner and a musician being in these spaces, I mean, what other things are are you 
hearing coming up over and over again in conversations when it comes to building back better? Like, how do we want to, you know, what what do we want to tackle in the music industry to make it better when it does come back? What are some of those some of those other things that have been part of these conversations? I know for me, uh, particularly, and, and and this is a good thing coming out of it because when this effort was brought to me with Keep Music Live, you know, it was like, hey, we're going to be fighting for the venue venue owners. And I know that venue owners that I've been talking to, uh, and I'm sure Carly can agree with the same sentiment, but um, uh, the, the relationship between venue owners and musicians and just making sure that that is, you know, it, it's still going to be a business one for sure, but, you know, something that can be built back better. Um, there's a lot of musicians that, uh, you know, have gone to venues where they had, you know, a rough time or it, it wasn't something that it wasn't a pleasant experience, you know, and here we are really going to bat for each other now uh, mm-hmm. and, and trying to save uh, an ecosystem that we all believe in. And so I feel like something like this is an opportunity for musicians and venue owners to build a better relationship when doing business together, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I even just get chills thinking about that because pre-pandemic, the music industry is so cutthroat. I mean, as a musician, you know, you're working hard. You're like trying to get in clubs. You're trying to make as much, you know, you're trying to make any kind of money. Like (laughs) if anything, you want to pay, you want to cover your costs and be able to, you know, save up for your next recording project. But on the venue side and on the promoter side and on the booking agent side, the manager side, no one is friends. I can tell you that like pre-pandemic, there are no buddies. You have no buddies. And and I think the most amazing silver lining of the last nine months is that this coalition of Keep Music Live and Wanma and Niva is like pulling all of these people in the industry together. And they're all able to acknowledge that like without venues, none of this works. Uh, and musicians can say that. Booking agents can say that. Managers can say that because the music industry has gone to this state where its main revenue stream is live music. And without that, like it all falls apart. So here we are without that right now. And we have to come together and we have to be friends. And like, I've built some amazing relationships through this with people that I'd never met before that, you know, I I was maybe a little afraid of, you know, <laughs> or, like felt a little intimidated by and that to me is such a big part of building back better is like, we can have a symbiotic like community in the music industry. It doesn't have to be everyone at each other's throats for like, you know, I know in Seattle, it's probably especially tough because there are so many great venues and they all want to get the great band and the great show. Um, we don't have that as much in Spokane because it's smaller, but, um, but yeah, that competitive nature, I just, I'm looking forward to, to how things kind of uh, restart and how we can kind of have each other's backs, just like you said. Yeah. And also going back, Carly, to your point, I mean, something that I've really realized this year is again, like how siloed the industry is and people aren't Mm -hmm. working together. Like you have your owners, your bookers, your staff, your musicians, your tour managers, your, you know, all like all these different facets and you aren't, working under one roof, you know, like no mm-hmm. one is working for the same cause. They're all, all have their own interests in mind. And so how do you work together? And, you know, also maybe with some of those silos on top of some other things, you know, again, this year, we've been talking a lot about equity, um, as we should. But, you know, thinking about equity in the music industry moving forward, realizing, you know, there are so, so many silos, but 
perhaps the the pandemic is bringing folks together. I mean, yep. how how can all the forces work together to bring more equity to the industry? And what are the biggest hurdles you see moving forward when it comes to that issue? I, as a venue owner, I've found that um, even just being a woman identifying venue owner, I'm not the main talent buyer. I never have been at either of our venues. My husband, Caleb, does that. But just me being in his ear all the time about like wanting our calendar to be gender equal, wanting to see LGBTQ identifying artists, wanting to see BIPOC artists on our calendar. Like, um, I think inherently I do that for other female identifying artists. And I've grown in my um, awareness of doing that for um, artists of color and LGBTQ identifying artists. And I think part of that growth happens when we just like bring people into our circle. And part of, so for us, we have a, a good friend that actually I grew up with here in Spokane, who's a promoter. She's a queer black female. And we've been working with her on some different things like through shutdown and just having like voices that are different than yours able to like look at what you're doing and be like, Hey, maybe you should consider this. And with keep music live, that's been a huge thing is just having people in the room in each meeting that can be like, ah, I think we should consider this when we're talking about this, you know, like different perspectives are the way forward for having things be any different. Cause if you're just kind of stuck in your own, your own pathway and your own mindset, it's hard to break out of that. And like adding to that, uh, you know, Carly is 100% right. You know, the room has to look as diverse as you want your, you know, uh, constituency to be, right? You know, a lot of uh, big business owners are like, yeah, we believe in diversity and this, that, and the other. But like, you need more women, you need more black people and brown people in that in that CEO's office when those big meetings are happening, like. Like it needs to be representation. Now, you know, to play a little devil's advocate and answer your other question, what are some of the struggles? Um, you know, it, it's hard to mandate something like that. Um, you know, like we we talk about it and we we definitely want to do it, but mandating something like that is difficult. And you know, I believe that you know, in, in the greater good, and there's more good people in America than bad people. You know, everybody understands that. Most of us want peace of mind. Most of us want to be a part of something and and do something great together, right? But I do think that, you know, there are still some small forces out there that, you know, are going to try to block that. So we just got to make sure our voices are a little bit louder. Yeah. Yeah. And I think on top of that, like, we need diverse voices in positions of power. Like, I yeah. can only do so much to, like, involve people in what I'm doing, but just by being a white person owning a venue, I have a position of power. And like, I, I think, you know, what you said earlier, Cedric, like we need more venue owners that are black. We need more venue owners that are LGBTQ. We need, and the ones that exist, we need to support them more. You know, I, I really believe that. I think that's, that is what equity means. And when and, you look at those meetings right now in the room, who are the owners currently how many of those are people of color or BIPOC folks? I don't know of any. Yeah, I don't know yeah. many either. But I will, and I'm going to go ahead and vouch here for, for KML and for Keep Music Live. Um, 
because, you know, especially all the venue owners who are self-aware, it takes some self-awareness to know like, Hey, we're struggling, but we need some help. And, you know, but we can't go out here as just like a bunch of white dudes asking people for money. You know what I mean? Like that. And like, I, like I get that. I get that angle. I understand it completely because it's not really the angle you should be coming in at right now, especially in the Northwest. You can't just say I'm a white guy and I need money from people like that. That's a hard thing to do. And for them to, to say, Hey, you know, like we need some people that we've worked with before to, to vouch for us. So they know like, Hey, you know, our hearts are in the right place. Like that's them showing that they are aware of the situation, the times, everything going on right now. And so, and that goes back to me saying about, you know, people who are, you know, conscious of everything going on, you know, whether you're white, black or, you know, brown. Yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely some huge responsibility moving forward with the money we've raised through Key Music Live, you know, and I think the fact that we look around these meetings and there are no people of color owning venues, I mean, there are some, I will say that there are some um, in Washington but that can motivate us, you know, that can motivate us to how we give out grants, what kind of mentorship programs we want to see for the music industry, what kind of people we want to see supported moving forward. You know, I, I think, I think that's huge. And I think the group as a whole is like, so, so behind that. Well, I've been speaking with Cedric Walker of the Seattle-based band The Black Tones, who's on the board um, of Keep Music Live here in Washington State. I've also been talking with Carly Ingersoll, co-owner of the Spokane Music Venue, Lucky You Lounge. Thank you to you both for chatting today. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, thank you, Emily. This is great. Well, we just got an update on the state of music venues now that $15 billion in relief is coming to independent music venues and theaters through the recently passed Save Our Stages Act. Seattle has another good news venue story. After four years of efforts, the new Black and Tan Hall aims to open up in the South Seattle neighborhood of Hillman City at the end of this year, pending what happens with the pandemic. Black and Tan Hall is named after Seattle's original Black and Tan Club that opened in Seattle's International District in 1922. It operated for nearly five decades and was graced by performances by Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, Duke Ellington, and more. Here's musician Joe Siemens, who's part of the Black and Tan Hall organization. A Black and Tan, traditionally, was, in America, was a, a club that was generally Black-owned, and in in the um, in the black part of town that would host anybody and everybody at least late at night after hours um, in defiance of the laws of segregation. So while we don't live under Jim Crow, we are still living in an era of of extreme social segregation that we want to overturn, that we want to counteract. And so for us, the inspiration was really not only the great Duke Ellington song "Black and Tan Fantasy." But also, you know, these clubs that existed in a lot of different cities in America back in the first half of the 1900s that like if you if you rolled into town and said, where's the the local black and tan, then at least in the black community and and in some other communities, it was known, oh, you want to go to the club where people of all backgrounds can hang out together. And that is the inspiration. 
for us. With the help of a grant from Seattle's Equitable Development Initiative, along with about 30 investors who will co-own the space, a building off of Rainier Avenue was purchased this past month to house the new Black and Tan Hall. Our vision for the hall is that it become a community institution that stands as a stake in the ground and a model for arresting the process of gentrification by creating a pathway to ownership for people who have been systemically denied ownership in successful land, you know, businesses and land. So our vision is to create a space that is welcoming and feels like home for everyone who goes there and that we also can open up a path for those that don't have the monetary resources to start their own business or to own their own land and and earn ownership in this business. So a, a very big part of our endeavor is to be a for-profit business that lets uh, young people and historically disenfranchised people be able to invest and do that through their work, through sweat equity, and not only through cash. So is it almost like a co-op model, like multiple people are owning this building and space together? Very much so. We are definitely um, our own version of a co-op. The idea is that if you can, you know, you, you apply to become a partner in the, in the business, and if you're accepted, then you have the opportunity to contribute by investing $2,500 worth of money or labor. Um, we value people's time at, at $20 an hour so that people can, like, work an hour and either get paid for that hour or contribute it towards their equity in the business. And so you're in becoming a partner, you're committing to, you know, contributing that work. And then also we, we require all partners to do 52 hours a year, one hour a week of work um, unpaid as a, as a show of your, you know, support of the larger vision and of the business. Black and Tan Hall plans to host musical performances, theater, dance night, as well as community classes and workshops for all ages. Siemens describes Black and Tan Hall's main goal. We are committed to creating the world that we want to see. And we don't see that world in Seattle right now. We see a lot of inequality. And so this is one way that our partners are working to adjust that and say, what does the America we want to live in look like? And that's what this space is going to be about. And we are very excited to partner with a lot of different community organizations and nationally touring uh, musicians and artists to make that a reality. But this is really just the beginning. And there's a lot, there's a long way that our, that our culture in Seattle needs to go because we are often thought of as a very progressive city. But our progressivism lacks in extreme ways. Um, and, and you need to look no further than the lack of organizations that have owned their own buildings and are programmed and led by people of color. You have Langston. Um, you have a few other institutions I could point to that are similar to what we're trying to create. But given the size and the diversity contained, especially in South Seattle, there is just nowhere near the power in people's hands that there needs to be. So to all my fellow white Seattleites out there, I encourage you, think about how we put ownership of land in the hands of people of color. That is what we need to create justice and equity in our city. And until we do that in meaningful and lasting ways, then we are only talking about equity. We're not really enacting it. 
That was Joe Siemens talking about the future of Black and Tan Hall that aims to open in the South Seattle neighborhood of Hillman City in late 2021. Here's Duke Ellington, who played at the original Black and Tan in Seattle with his song, Black and Tan Fantasy. Sound and Vision. And as I say at the end of every show, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And the reason why I say that is I just looked up the numbers and there are more than 800,000 podcasts out there. So in order to help amplify this one, subscribing, rating, and reviewing does actually help people know it's worth their while and helps them find and discover this podcast. Also, if you want to go the extra mile, you can give a one-time $20 donation to help support this show at kexp.org slash sound. But most of all, thanks for listening.